This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. The button pushing stops here. Plug the radio in. Yeah, Hello everyone, once again it's time for Evidence for Faith on WIBG 1020 AM. This is the weekly program that helps Christians to become thinkers and thinkers to become Christians. I'm Kirk Hastings. Keith Kendricks is here also. Our topic for today is, does atheism lead to antisocial behavior? So you want to stay tuned for that. Also, uh, this is the program that presents the historical, archaeological, and scholarly evidences for the historic Christian faith based on the documents of both the Old and New Testaments. If you'd like to listen to podcasts of previous episodes, they are available on our website, which is located at www.evidence4faith.com. If you'd like to ask us a question, you can also email us at email at evidence the number four faith.com and to start off our show today i have a quote of the week for you uh, actually got this from today's newspaper the quote is by a man named william hazlitt i'm not sure if he's a christian or not but uh sounds like he might be the quote is man is the only animal that laughs and weeps for he is the only animal that is stuck with the difference between what things are and what they ought to be how do you like oh, that wow. one, Keith? Yeah, I like that quote. That's, that's good. good. I think I might have heard that before. That's That sounds really good, but I don't know who he is either. No, I was going to look him up on the internet, but I didn't have a chance. So maybe I'll do that when I get home. And I'll there you go. give you a biography next week. Cool. <laughs> when everybody's forgotten that quote. <laughs> there you go. Okay, so today we're going to talk about atheism and negative social behavior. Keith, yeah. can you uh, tell us a little bit about what that's about? Well, this is a topic, I wasn't planning to talk about this today, but I came across a really interesting blog about this topic, and the blog is called Simple Apologetics, and the author goes over several research studies that have been done in the past few years about the way people think, their beliefs, and the behavior that results from their beliefs. So, you know me, I like these kinds of social experimentation and I like to see why people believe certain things and how it affects their behavior. So this was totally fascinating to me. And I looked up the studies that were referenced in this and some other articles and put together the information today. And I think you'll see this is really interesting because we've experienced the kind of antisocial behavior that these ideas produce in the atheists that we've dealt with. Yes, I can verify that. <laughs> yeah. I've got so a few the, emails here and there. <laughs> so to be a little more specific about what we're talking about, what has been studied recently is the concept of free will. Yes, right. I, I looked at this uh, this. Uh, blog that you're talking about just before mm -hmm. uh, we came on the air, 
And that was what caught my eye as one of the statements at the top of the article says that the current scientific research is leading scientists to deny that we have free will. Is that right? Well, the atheists would have you believe that. So what's the connection between free will and atheism? Okay, let's discuss that for a little bit. Okay. All right. There are several different forms of atheistic view. But the main one that most people run into, and if someone says, I'm an atheist, they almost always mean that they believe in naturalism or that the only thing that exists and the only thing we can know about the world and ourselves are the result of natural processes, that science can explain the natural processes that make up human beings and the world around us. And therefore, because that's true, because we're only physical, natural things, there are no such things as God. There are no such things as angels. There are no souls or spirits. But also, this means that for human beings, there's no such thing as free will. There is no such thing as purpose in life, no ultimate meaning to life. And there are no such things as objective morals. Now, we've talked a lot about some of the different aspects of naturalism, for instance, meaning in life and and objective morals. So what we're going to do today is focus in on this concept of free will. And it turns out that there's been a lot of scientific studies that have taken a look at free will, the belief in free will, and how it affects people, whether Mm -hmm. they believe in this or not. So as an atheist, atheists would try to claim that there are studies that show that there's no such thing as free will. But I've looked at these studies and they're really very bogus. It doesn't really show, it, what, it, what it does show you is that your brain is an integral part of your decision-making process. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that there isn't something outside of the brain which works with the brain and controls the brain. And right. in fact, a lot of the research shows that there is something outside of the brain that makes you makes up you and that we would call the soul or the mind right yes i've read a few articles to that extent too that uh positing the idea that the mind is actually something completely separate from the physical brain yes that's right and let's see if i can remember right that you're referring to a researcher by the name of schwartz I don't remember his first name, but he is a neuroscientist from UC Irvine who wrote a book called The Mind and the Brain, and then the subtitle is Neoplasticity. And that just means that the mind controls the brain, and it's not the other way around. Right. So some of the studies we'll be looking at today actually support his work and show that there actually is something more going on than just the brain. Okay. That sounds very interesting. So what do you well, have? What's, the, well, what's one of the studies you have there? Well, the main idea for this comes from an April 2010 article that was in Scientific American. And I've got a quote from what they say in this article. It says, One of the most striking findings to emerge recently in the science of free will is that when people believe or are led to believe that free will is just an illusion they tend to become more antisocial, close quote. Hmm. Now, that's from Scientific American. Right. Now, he's referring to a lot of these studies that were brought up in that blog, Simple Apologetics. And he refers to one 
study that was published in February of 2009 in the journal Personality and Social Psychology Bulletin that showed that disbelief in free will, okay, if you don't believe in free will, it resulted in reduced helpfulness and more aggressive behavior. Now, what's interesting about this is that you didn't have to already have believed that there's no free will. You could have been convinced as part of the study. So, in some of the studies, what they did is they gave some people a paragraph to read which told them that there was no such thing as free will. And others, they gave them a different paragraph that basically said nothing about free will at all. And it turned out that those who had read the paragraph about no free will acted significantly worse. They behaved much worse than the people who had not read such a statement. And in my mind, that brings out what the New Testament talks about, reading and concentrating and thinking about things that are pure and wholesome. Because when you do think about things that are basically, in this case, part of an atheistic viewpoint, you, turn, you wind up acting worse than you would. That's really interesting. Yeah, specifically in this case, it was reduced helpfulness or, or more selfishness, basically, and more aggressive behavior. And they tested things like the willingness of a person to give money to a homeless person or to share their cell phone with someone else who needed their cell phone. Uh-huh. So very interesting. Have they, what's, what's the connection between the two things? Have they determined why a belief uh, that free will is just an illusion leads to this kind of behavior? Yeah, there's actually several of the studies have commented on what they're feeling is about this and so we'll we'll get to that as we as we go along and get through some more of these studies okay this is kind of funny in a way because i'm i'm sitting here thinking while you're you're saying this that the people in these studies are using their free will to decide that they don't have any free will <laughs> yeah exactly yes right. great point that's a great point it's kind of a self-defeating thing you know it, right. it's it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy and it's you know, like, how can anybody be pro-choice in life if you don't really have a choice because you don't have free will? Ah, uh, wonderful. Excellent. Yes, a great question. <laughs> well, let's look at another. This is an earlier study. This one was done in November of 1982. This research was published in the journal Human Relations, and it showed that people who believed in determinism, okay, again, Determinism is the opposite of believing in free will. Right. You, you believe that you don't have free will if you're a determinist. That the physical so, world really determines what you're going to do rather than your, your will. That's right. That the, the chemicals and the electrical signals inside your brain determine everything that you do. Right. So what this research found was that people who believed in determinism also believed in harsher punishments for behavioral deviations. Really? Now, that okay. kind of surprises me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's To me, that was a little counterintuitive because I'm thinking, you know, in fact, one of the arguments that I've used to argue against the concept of there being no free will is this idea that how can there be justice because people are going to wind up in court and they'll say, well, I couldn't help killing my mother because my brain chemistry told me to do it. Right. So I have no free will, we have no free will, so how can you possibly 
punish this person when right. they couldn't help it. Wouldn't you and, think that would lead, you know, these kind of people to say, well, you know, you can't help what you do, so you shouldn't really be punished for it. That's You would think so, but in the study it actually showed the opposite, that these people were much more likely to give harsh punishments to people who acted in ways that they disagreed with. Now, as an explanation, the researchers offered this. I'll just give you this quote. A possible explanation for these results emphasized the burdensome moral responsibility which punishment may represent to those who believe in free will. Such responsibility would demand that punishment be administered with scrupulous attention to fairness and justice. Close quote. Okay. So you see what they're saying. If you believe in free will, then you know that, you, that the fact that you're making a decision about someone else is very important, and you therefore are much more likely to pay attention to concepts such as fairness and justice. Oh, I you don't see. want to be unfair to someone else. Right. Now, let's think historically about atheism in the past. And again, the connection is that atheism teaches that people do not have free will. Right. So, atheistic political regimes in the past have been what? Have they sh shown fairness and justice? No. Or have they been harsher in their punishment? They generally say, my way or the highway. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Yeah, they wind up being much more brutal. Their punishments, you know, it's the death penalty for everything. In fact, just disagreeing with atheism was enough to send people in Russia to the gulag to prison camps if you believed in, in God or you were a preacher, you know, you were harshly, harshly punished. Right. So that's one aspect that has come to light about this concept of determinism and not believing in free will. Okay. You will be more harsh. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. And, you know, religious belief tends to... Uh, this is just my own observation. It seems to me that religious belief tends to make people think for themselves more, which is something that a tyrannical government does not want you to do. Yeah, exactly. Especially in Protestantism, you know, we are taught that we have to study the scriptures ourselves and that our relationship with God is a one-on-one -on -one relationship, that it's ultimately our responsibility. So, we have to get things right. We're told to be good Bereans, and the Bereans were people who studied the scriptures well to make sure that they were doing the right thing. Right. So when you have, when you believe in free will, when you, you know, are a particular a Protestant, you believe that your actions are very crucial, and so it's very important that you do things right. Right. Well, that makes sense to me. Do you have another study on this? Yeah, there was an interesting study about atheism and work. Okay, so this looked at the effects of believing in free will or determinism on job performance. Okay. Now, this was a really interesting study. This was, came out in January 2010 in the journal Social Psychology and Personality Science. Now, these are, these are not, we should probably point out, these are not Christian publications you're referring to, right? That's true. They're basically yeah, the, secular publications. Yep, just like Scientific American... The only Christian publication that we've mentioned so far today is the blog uh, Simple Apologetics. Right, which is simply reporting these other uh, sources. That's right. So this study 
from social psychology and personality science showed that belief in free will correlated with a more positive attitude about expected career success. Okay, so that was one aspect of their, their study. They looked at did people feel positively about their job, their career, where they were going in the future, and if they believed in free will, they were much more likely to be more positive about their future and had hope for career success. So believing in free will was directly linked to that kind of hope. Then they also looked at actual job performance, and that was also better in those who believed in free will. So if you didn't believe in free will, you had poorer job performance. And I have a quote from this study, from the abstract of this study. They said, quote, belief in free will facilitates exerting control over one's actions. So you were asking, why is it? Why is it that belief in free will leads to more social behavior and less antisocial behavior? Here's one of the possible explanations that these researchers thought was that if you believe in free will, you then exert more control over your actions. And if you exert more control over your actions, you're more likely to behave in a social manner or to be socialized. And if you disbelieve in free will, if you believe in determinism, you're much more likely not to exert control over your actions. You're much more likely to act in antisocial ways. Hmm. Wow. Well, let's, uh, let's remind people that if you're just joining us, you're listening to Evidence for Faith. Yes, this is Evidence for Faith on WIBG 1020 AM, and I'm, Keith, uh, <laughs> I'm Kirk Hastings. And I'm Keith Kendricks. You're Keith Kendricks. i got to keep there that you, straight. <laughs> there you go. Okay. My self-will is getting uh, mixed up here. Ah, Okay. Yes. <laughs> well, that's that's pretty interesting. Would it be fair to say then that people that believe in determinism would be more likely to fly by the seat of their pants in life, figuring that the chemicals in their body are going to show them what to do rather than thinking about what they do? Yeah, I think that's actually an adequate explanation. And uh, as we look at some more of these studies, one of them was actually a study of what is going on deep inside the brain. And it's a study of the actual electrical readings from the deep brain and you'll see that you're you're actually right that free will people who don't believe in free will actually turn off part of their brain really <laughs> yeah okay that explains a lot of uh, politicians today doesn't it it does <laughs> i think so all right well let's look at a another study that relates to cheating and stealing ooh okay this this was an interesting study. Um, this was published in 2008, and it was reported in the journal Psychological Science. I think I can almost predict where this one's going to go. <laughs> All right. What do you think? Well, I would say that the determinists probably are not worried about things like that. It's like, well, if I want this and I can get away with taking it, I'm going to take it. Ah, interesting. Yes. In other words, and uh, whatever benefits me, if I can get away with it, I'm going to do it. Well, and they might not even be thinking that way. They might not be thinking about whatever benefits me, but it's actually that they might simply be tempted. And since temptation is kind of my brain telling me to do X, Y, or Z, 
then because I believe that I am only the result of what my brain tells me, then there's nothing wrong with doing whatever your brain tells you. So when you're tempted to cheat, you're tempted to steal, that's merely who you are. It's your brain telling you what to do. And don't we all just do what our brains tell us to do? Okay, I see. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> now, this one, again, remember some of the studies check to see did people believe in free will or did they not? But some actually had them read something first to try to convince them that there was no such thing as free will and to see if that had an effect on their behavior. Uh -huh. So in this study, they, looked, they, they used students and they had them read a paragraph stating that there was no such thing as free will prior to taking a test. And then in the test, it showed that those who had read that paragraph were significantly much more likely to cheat on the test than those who had read a similar paragraph but was unrelated to the concept of free will. No kidding. Yeah. Just, just something as simple as reading a paragraph can change your whole outlook. Yeah. Now, I think this fits into, I, I haven't re-looked up this, this study, but this fits into a study we've talked about in past shows about the impact of movies and on people's behavior. Right. Now, in, That's just in, what I was thinking of. Exactly. Now, in that study, they did a serial test where they, they had them watch a movie and then they tested them. And then they tested them later and then they tested them again later. And what they found is that this, this behavior or this modification wears off. So we don't want to be so, you know, scared about this that if we think that if, you know, one of our kids reads a book on atheism that he's going to be forever, you know, from now on a worse person uh -huh. just by reading something that says that they're, you know, they have no free will. My guess is now they, of course, in this study, they didn't take serial tests later on, but my guess is based on other studies that this would in fact wear off. So the fact that you read this telling you that you have free will makes you more likely to cheat on this exam today. Right. But a month from now, it's likely that you will go back at least partly to your old behavior of not cheating as much. And then say six months from now, there probably would be no, no measurable difference. Well, that's interesting. But the fascinating thing is that it does have an impact. And it's not like they read a whole book you know, with a long list of arguments about the concept of free will. Right. It's they only read one paragraph. Right. From an authority figure that said there is no such thing as free will. You are only your brains and, and electrical and chemical atoms in motion. And that's, you know, why you do the things you do. That's all they read. Just like right. four sentences. And then so, they took an exam and they were much more likely to cheat. So what's it going to do to their behavior to watch a two-hour movie? Well, yeah, the, exactly. The more there is of it, likely it will last longer. The bigger question is what happens if you feed yourself a continuous diet of this kind of stuff? Right. Because, as I said, it wears off as months go by. But what if you watch this stuff all the time and you right. get this atheistic milieu, the atheistic philosophy all the time? Right. You're going to continue to have antisocial behavior all the time. As Kirk, as we said before, you and I have firsthand experienced in our dealings with atheists in debates and emails. Right. 
Well, it makes sense because you're just, you're continually feeding yourself with this stuff that it's, you know, it's going to have a more permanent effect on you. Right. You know, I, I read an interesting editorial uh, several decades ago about a Christian movie reviewer. And every week he was watching three or four movies because that was his job, was to review movies. Right. And after several years, he finally had to stop. He just could not. He, he noticed how it was affecting his behavior and how bad and inferior his behavior was since he'd been watching the movies. And then when he stopped and quit watching all those secular movies, his behavior improved and went back to the way it was. Wow, and he that's... wrote a really touching editorial about how we have to be so careful about the things that we let into our lives, the things that we read, the, th- the movies that we watch, and how it really does affect our behavior. Right. Well, that I was just thinking that would make, it sounds like that would make a good book. You should write a book on that. Yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, I don't, it was so long ago, I don't remember who the author was. The thing that cr- always cracks me up when they when the TV executives come out and they say, "Oh, you know, our programming doesn't affect people and it doesn't alter their behavior or whatever," and yet the sponsors will pay two million dollars for a sixty or thirty second commercial to try to influence people to buy their product, and they know that it works. Right. So they're yep. saying, "Well, the commercials affect people's behavior, but the programming in between the commercials doesn't." <laughs> Right, right. And in fact, it does. Well, a second part of this study, okay, so we're talking about the cheating, and remember I said the cheating and stealing. So there was a second part of this study published in 2008 in Psychological Science where they experimented on these participants and they found out that they stole more money after reading about having a lack of free will. So they were being observed, they were given an opportunity to steal a certain amount of money, and they were much more likely to steal the money if they had read a paragraph about the supposed fact that people don't have free will. Well, that's interesting. All right, so you want to get into the, uh, the brain studies then? The yeah, right. The brain studies? The deep brain studies. Let's hear about that. <laughs> well, this is published actually this year in March this year in the journal Psychological Science, and researchers published that they had measured far lower brain activities in a certain area of the brain. So what they, what they call this is the first unconscious phase of the readiness potential. Okay, all right, sounds pretty fancy. Right. But basically, it's the part of the brain that gets you ready. It's, it kind of wires up the brain and says, okay, we're going to make a decision. Okay. All right? So that's this basically, un- they call it unconscious because it starts, to, it starts to go, it starts to activate to get you ready, and then you decide. So when you're thinking about making a decision, that's when it's readying itself. When you're thinking about, hmm, I need to decide something. Right. And then you say, okay, I decide A. And that, you know, like, uh, let's say I'm deciding whether or not to raise my hand, okay? You know, should I, should I ask a question? Should I raise a hand in this class and ask this question? So this, this, um, there's this first phase of the readiness potential that your brain is getting ready to react. And then you, sa- you say to yourself, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to raise my hand. So, so you do it, right. okay? So what they found is that if you were told not to believe in free will, 
Okay, again, this is one where they tried to convince people that there's no such thing as free will. They had, there was much less, far lower brain activity going on during this time of getting ready to make a decision. Now, they describe this, so it's a little hard to understand, but basically the way they described this in the journal was they called it the gumption to act. Right. <laughs> okay? So it's the, the willingness or the ability to act, the readiness to act. So if you say, if you believe that you don't have free will, this acts as a self-fulfilling prophecy. You're basically telling your brain not to make, not to be ready to make decisions because I don't make decisions. Okay. The brain does. Right. So the brain basically stops listening to the mind and it just sits around. So here's further proof that we talked about where there is something more than just the brain. It's the mind or the soul and that has an effect on the, the brain, but also think about this. I can change if I change your mind, right? If I convince you, say, that there is no such thing as free will, I control your brain. So which which is it? Does the brain control what you're thinking or does what you're thinking control the brain? It turns out from these studies that your thinking your mind controls the brain. So the atheists have it exactly opposite. They think that what they're thinking is caused only by the chemical processes and electrical processes in the brain. And in reality, your mind is controlling your brain. And I can actually control your brain by giving you a new idea. And that's what Dr. Schwartz, who we talked about a little earlier, found in his dealings with compulsive obsessive disorder he was able to control people's brains by giving them new ideas. So ideas matter. Ideas have consequences in right. everyone's life, in your life, in my life. And it's so important that we teach Christian ideas to our children, to ourselves, including ideas that we have free will. And that gives us a much more ability to act, to be ready to act, to have that gumption to act. Would it be fair then to say that what I'm getting from what you're saying here is that people that don't believe in free will are probably more likely to act on their feelings rather than thinking something through? Because they're thinking, if I'm feeling something, that's my body telling me, okay, that's what you want to do. So that's what they do. Is that yes. accurate? Yeah. yeah, I would say that's accurate. Okay, I can understand that. It, it seems to me that there are a lot more people today. I, you know, I wasn't around 100 years ago, but, you know, from what I read, it just seems like we make a lot more decisions today based on our feelings than what we think about things. That people are yep. more impulsive, I guess you could say, than they used right. to be. Yep. Yeah, and that's really right. what that is, isn't it? Because they're they're thinking, well, I don't, you know, whatever my body tells me, that must be what I'm supposed to do. And that's what they do instead of thinking it through. And, and it may also be several other bad ideas. I mean, there are a lot of bad ideas out there that change your mind and change the way you react. Right. Uh, for instance, not believing in truth. You know, right. if you don't believe that there that is such relative. a thing as true truth, right? Um, you're much more likely to act in ways that by any stretch of the imagination would seem irrational. But it's okay. In a world in which there's no truth, then there's no such thing as irrationality either. Yeah. That's true. Well, 
Well, let's remind people that they're li- they're listening to Evidence for Faith. I'm Keith Kendricks. And I'm Kirk Hastings. It looks like we have about 15 minutes here. Well, let's review then what we've gone over. We talked about how atheism implies determinism. Right. Belief in determinism leads to several antisocial beliefs and behaviors. And right. we looked at the studies that showed that it leads to aggressiveness and being less helpful, being more selfish. Right. It leads to preferring more punitive punishments, so being much harsher in judgment against people and having less mercy. It leads to a less positive attitude about career successes and negative work performance. And it also leads to a far lower, what's called a readiness potential in the brain to take action. So, very bad results from the atheistic belief in that there is no such thing as free will. Right. Yeah, not a lot of positives there. (laughs) Nope. Well, you know what, Kirk? We've got a little bit of time, so let's expand on something that we talked about a few weeks back. We were talking about, again, this was a topic since we're on on atheism, let's stick with atheism, and we had talked about some of the psychological aspects of atheism. This was back when we were talking about why people believe things that they do and or why they don't believe other things. And we looked at the psychoanalytic basis of atheism. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, do you remember this? Yep, I do. So psychoanalysis is the area of psychology that was developed by Sigmund Freud. Now, as its central feature... Freud described what we call the Oedipus complex, okay? So, Freud believed that boys between the ages of three and six will develop a strong sexual desire for the mother, and they'll develop a fear and hatred of the father and a desire to supplant him, okay? Now, realize that Freud thinks that this is happening at an unconscious level, Okay, so it's not like the kid is consciously thinking this. Does, I was going to say, I don't, I don't remember ever thinking that when I was <laughs> right, a kid. Right, exactly. Okay, so, yeah, this is one of the problems with psychoanalysis because um, since it's supposedly unconscious, no one, it's undeniable, right? right. How, you know? how can you say, well, I, you know, I don't remember that, but it's still in there somewhere. Yeah, how could you ever prove that it wasn't it wasn't a person's thoughts. You know, you don't remember it. Yeah, but the reason you don't remember it is because it was unconscious. Right. You know? so, Can't argue okay, with that. <laughs> so I, I think this has to do with uh, one of the reasons that psychoanalysis is, is uh, not so popular uh, these days. But regardless, <laughs> psychoanalysis is still used. It is still considered a valid view and something that psychologists do and psychiatrists do use all the time. Now, so let's continue with what Freud thought. He thought that this would become resolved, okay, so that there would be a resolution of this struggle inside the little child, that he would recognize that he can't replace the father. Then he would turn and identify with him, and he would essentially repress his fear of his father, okay? So Freud believed that this fear then, or hatred of the father, could pop up later as adolescent hostility towards authority figures. Okay. okay, so you see how he made this connection? Right. So he's basically saying that most problems, I mean, you know, obviously 
a lot of problems occur in with adolescents. A lot of problems can be seen to be problems with authority. And so you can see how this became kind of the basis of his whole system of psychoanalysis. Yeah. And he thought it was the origin of all of our neuroses. So it's not like this view, this Oedipus complex, is some kind of tangential, interesting sidebar or sidelight of psychoanalysis. No, this was the very central core of psychoanalysis. Right. Okay? So here's the interesting thing, though. If in postulating this kind of universal Oedipus complex as the origin of all of our neuroses, Freud inadvertently developed a straightforward rationale for understanding the wish-fulfilling origin of atheism, okay? And wish-fulfillment was another kind of, now that was a kind of a sidelight, a side topic that Freud liked to talk about. He thought that religion was wish-fulfillment, but it turns out that it fits atheism much better. So, for Freud, God is kind of the psychological equivalent of the father, all right? Do you you see where I'm going with this now? Kind of, yeah. This, we basically have created a psychoanalytic basis of atheism. So, based on Freud's teaching, based on Freud's theory, therefore, atheism is an illusion, right? Atheism is a wish fulfillment, it's an illusion, it's a neuroses caused by the Oedipal desire to kill the father. Oh, that's interesting. (laughs) So, the whole God is dead movement is an unresolved Oedipal wish fulfillment. Wow. Has has any famous psychiatrist made that connection? That we know yeah, of? actually, actually, uh, let me see. I'm going to have to look back here if I can come up with the name of the... He was a former atheist. We mentioned him the last time we talked about this. And let me just look through my notes real quickly here. He was an atheist psychologist, or psychiatrist actually. Paul Witz, I think, was his name, but I don't see it in my notes. Ah, there it is. Yes. Okay, Paul Witz. Okay. So, Paul Witz brings this out, and, and we mentioned him the last time we talked about this. So, today we're kind of just going a little bit more in depth into his kind of turning on its head, turning back on itself, Freud's analysis of atheism and religion. Right. And rejection of authority. Right. So, having this Oedipal conflict then results in, according to Freud, exploitive sexual relationships combined with narcissistic self-worship. Okay, that, if you have an Oedipus complex, these are the kinds of neuroses that you have. Right. Does that sound like anybody we know? Exploitive sexual relationships and narcissistic self-worship. Uh, well, <laughs> about 90% of Hollywood celebrities? <laughs> <laughs> and some atheist websites that we've been to where this is all that they talk about? Uh, yeah, that could be. <laughs> Don't want to name any names. <laughs> now, let's, let's apply this to a specific historical person. Let's take a look at Voltaire. Okay. okay. Voltaire denied God as a personal father. He thought that the idea of God as a personal father was reprehensible. Right. I mean, this he, guy was a violent atheist. Yes, he was. Okay. But Voltaire himself strongly rejected his father. In fact, the name Voltaire... This is a name he gave himself. 
he constructed it from the letters of his mother's last name. Really? Yeah. I never heard that. Yeah, Voltaire is not his his uh, original name. Wow, that's so, interesting. And guess what was one of his first publications? In 1718, he published a play. You know what the name of the play was? No. Oedipus. <laughs> Should have guessed that one. <laughs> exactly. So you think this guy was thinking about this? Uh, sounds like it. <laughs> Could be. Also, Voltaire, politically, he, he, one of his political views was a rejection of the king. Voltaire was very anti-monarchy. Right. And you can see, again, the king as a father figure. Right. Voltaire rejected it completely. Yeah. So it turns out, then, that there's really no good reason to give kind of a limited, you know, an atheist might say, well, you know, the, the Oedipal theory, that's kind of a, a limited thing. It's only for people with neuroses. But really, if you apply it to atheistic beliefs, it turns out that there's no reason to limit it. It seems to fit actually quite well with why people would adopt atheism. Yeah. Here's a, here's a quote from Freud, in fact, that seems to fit right in line uh, with this concept. He said, quote, Youthful persons lose their religious belief as soon as the authority of the father breaks down. Wow. Okay, that's interesting. So, so now was he talking about himself? Because he was an atheist. Right. Youthful persons lose their religious belief as soon as the authority of the father breaks down. Okay. Close quote. So he seemed even himself to be applying his Oedipal complex viewpoint to atheism himself. So what we're talking about now is deeper reasons for atheism, right? You know, is atheism just something that you accept because you think the evidence warrants it? Is it something that you accept simply because you were talked into it? Somebody gave you evidence or you read a Richard Dawkins book? Uh -huh. Maybe not. Maybe there are deeper reasons for atheism. Well, you know, as you're talking about all this, I'm, I'm thinking um, it's kind of, I find it kind of interesting that most little children are not atheists unless they've been taught that from birth. I mean, mm -hmm. most kids naturally believe in God until basically when they get older, they're talked out of it by somebody. And we can even look historically, you know, throughout time, throughout all of human history in all parts of the world, the vast majority, 99% of people's belief has been belief in God. This is the natural way for the human brain, the human mind to think. Right. But Paul Witts brings out this concept of what happens when you have, say, a weak or cowardly father someone that you can't respect, or an abusive father, or maybe someone, a father who's absent because of death or because of abandonment. What happens to a person who is subjected to that kind of situation? So there's this concept of the defective father theory, okay? The defective father theory, does that change what you believe? Are you more likely to be a Christian or more likely to be an atheist if you have a defective father? So atheists have pointed out, well, this can go both ways, right? Children of defective atheist fathers sometimes become theists, right? They, they kind of 
reject their atheist father figure. Right. And so in order to reject their father, they have to accept theism. Okay. So that's a possibility, but it seems less likely to me because you're accepting a new type of father figure. It seems much more likely that it's going to go the other way, that a person with a defective father would want to get rid of any kind of father figure. That's what I but, would think. Yeah. That's the way I would tend to go. But but I guess, you know, you, you, you'd actually have to have some kind of a study that would be done to show if, you know, more atheists or more theists would result from defective fathers. You'd have to do some kind of controlled study. But just rationally looking at it, I think it's much more likely to believe the kind of uh, Freudian Oedipal complex or defective father theory and see that, you know, that is actually a big reason for atheism. And maybe one of the reasons that atheism is becoming more and more popular today is because of the failed uh, families, failed marriages, deadbeat dads. Right. Absentee fathers. Yep. It leans much more towards that. I would say that's a good guess. <laughs> now, one of the interesting things we can mention about this, though, is that most religions did not see God as a benevolent father. Okay? That's right? True Early too. religions, you know, uh, Zeus, Hindu gods, they're not really seen as benevolent fathers. It's not until no. you get to the Judeo-Christian religion that you see the concept of benevolent father. Right, that's true. So, so there again, I, I think that that argues that if you have a defective father, you're much more likely to either reject religion altogether or to turn to this concept of a benevolent father that is found in Christianity. Right. Makes sense to me. All right. Well, it looks like we have about a minute left. Anything All right. you want to sum up with? Of course, you already did kind of sum up. <laughs> Anything you want I, to add? I did. Um, well, just that I guess we can talk about Freud talking about how that he thought that God was a projection of our own intense unconscious desires. Remember I said he called it wish fulfillment? Right. Okay. I, I didn't well, quite understand that either, though, because if I wanted wish fulfillment, I could think of something better than a God that's going to judge me for all the things I do wrong. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. That is exactly right. That's one of the obvious problems with this is, no, if you're going to do wish fulfillment, the better thing to do is wish that there's no God and then nobody is there to tell you what to do. Right. And there's no judge and there's no punishment and you're but, home but free. But also, this is a kind of an ad hominem argument. It's saying that, okay, you only believe in God because of your mental problem. It's a And, and in the same way, we don't want to do the same thing and say that the only reason that a particular atheist believes uh, in no God is because of some mental problem that he's got. That would be an ad hominem argument. wouldn't be a fair way to argue. Wouldn't. And since we don't really know, since you can't psychoanalyze every atheist, it would be wrong to claim that. Right. But all we can know is that there are these problems that are clearly there with atheism and with the beliefs of atheism that lead to the antisocial behaviors that we've described. Yep. Okay. Well, that's about all the time we have for today. So we're going to ask you to join us again next week, if you would, at 4 p.m. on WIBG 1020 AM. And remember, until then, the best reason for being a Christian is because it's true. Yeah!